Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. More than 65 million Americans right now are serving as a family caregiver. Are you one of them? If so, you're in the right place. If so, how are you doing? What's going on with you? You see, if a caregiver is not in a good place, what happens to the person they're caring for? Okay, that's a pretty obvious question. Now, the less obvious question to ask, of course, is how do you help a caregiver? A lot of people think that a caregiver needs help, but a lot of people don't know what that looks like. And that's what this program is all about. And I'm bringing you more than 35 years of experience to help you stay strong and healthy while you take care of someone who is not. And that's the whole point of hope for the caregiver, that we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, a more joyful life, even while serving as a caregiver during very dire circumstances. And dealing with very harsh realities, we can do this. I know, because that's what I do. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. You can go out and see more about what we have to offer. Check out our, our podcast, which is free. We have now getting close to 700 episodes out there. It is the number one podcast for caregivers in the world. And we have the numbers to show that. They just came in, and it's kind of exciting. So please take advantage of this. Books, music podcast, blogs, whatever else that you want to find out there. There's plenty of stuff. Take advantage of it. Friends don't let friends care give alone. And that's the purpose of this program. Let me tell you an old joke. You probably have heard this one. The guy was getting some things checked out on his car and testing out his lights and everything else. And he asked the guy behind him, you know, he said, hey, can you go back there and check on some things. And he said, is my left blinker working? The guy says, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. What does that have to do with caregivers? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today and spend some time unpacking seeing something but not understanding something. The guy checking the blinkers from behind, he was looking at it, he had sight but he didn't have insight. He recognized that there was a current being applied and the brake lights were coming on, but he didn't have insight to the meaning of what he was seeing. Now, that has a lot to do with us as caregivers because we see things, but do we have insight into what we're seeing? If we don't have insight, then we are doomed to keep repeating the same processes over and over without understanding and just reacting to them in the same manner. We don't grow, we don't evolve, we don't increase our understanding of what's actually going on. Now go back and look at Matthew 13. And Jesus said this in verse 9, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and his disciples came to him and said, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And later on in that chapter, just a couple verses down, Jesus said, this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. And in them, in verse 14, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. I see so many verses in Scripture that talk about seeing and understanding, opening your eyes, opening your ears, listen. Do do you grasp this? concept of of teaching people how to see and have insight instead of just relying on sight. 
Go back and look at what Jesus said to Thomas when Thomas said, okay, I believe now, I see you. And Jesus said, blessed are those who haven't seen, but they believe. Those people have understanding. They have great faith. And, and as caregivers, how many times are we repeating the same events but not growing? Now, I don't know about you, but this has been a longstanding issue with me. And I felt stupid most of the time. Still do. A friend of mine tells me the obvious becomes obvious right before it becomes obvious. But part of the issue is, are we looking at things with the intent of understanding? Or are we just seeing it? Do we want to have insight? Do we want to grow? Do we want to learn and understand what is going on here. Do we want to see the fingerprints of God? Do we want to see the precepts of God? Do we want to see how Scripture is applying to this? Or do we want to just cherry pick whatever makes us feel better for the moment? You see, this is the challenge for us, I believe, as caregivers, as human beings. But we as caregivers live in a crucible of relentless challenges that bang our heads pretty hard. And we have to somehow grasp something greater that's going on. Otherwise, we become just incredibly bitter, miserable, despairing people. And it starts with, do you want to understand? Do you want to see this? Do you want to, to learn through this process? That's the, 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 do you have that thirst in you to be able to do that? And then once you decide, yes, I do. I want to see beyond the circumstances. I don't want to just sit there and look at a blinker going on and off, on and off, and say, it's working, it's not working, it's working, it's working. We're not getting the big picture. It's doing exactly what it's designed to do, it's built to do, and we're not getting insight into this. Do we recognize that there is a sovereign Lord in all of that we're dealing with? Now, these are hard questions. But I believe that if we are willing to humble ourselves and submit some teaching on this and learn from this, that we can gain a sense of, of insight that will not take away the sting of what we have to deal with, but it will give it will it will it will give purpose to it that we did we that has eluded us. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. It will give purpose to the journey that we have not considered. Now, I'm not trying to go down that path where people have said to Gracie and me over the years, oh, you know, you know, I know God hadn't healed Gracie, but look at the great testimony. But that's not the purpose I'm talking about. Okay? That, that, is, that is man's concoction of what we think God has purpose, that we could have some kind of great ministry. There are a lot of people who have had great ministry, had both legs, and didn't have to go through all the stuff that Gracie's gone through. That's not really where I am. And I've always found that a little bit cliche when people say that to us. The purpose I'm talking about is going deeper into the things of God, having understanding. Sometimes that can be a very lonely place. And Jesus alluded to this back in Matthew 13 when he said, you know, when they asked him, why do you speak to people this way? And in Matthew 11, 13, 11, he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but not to them. 
Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from him. And this is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. That's a very difficult concept to wrestle with. But there it is in the text. And Jesus said it. Some are going to get this. Some are not. And the challenge for us is, okay, we live in this circumstance. We live with these harsh realities. Are we willing to go deeper? Because I think this is where peace and contentment and then ultimately joy comes from being able to trust God in this because you're seeing greater evidence of his work in your life. Not just necessarily in the life of your loved one, in your life. I've fallen into that trap like so many others have said, okay, if she gets better, then I will be okay. I will feel better. I will be better. But I got news for you. After living a lifetime of this, Gracie's situation hasn't gotten better for her. It's gotten substantially more difficult as the years have gone on. But what about us? Can we get better in this? Can Gracie and I both get better in this? And the answer, of course, is yes. Scripture says we can, but it requires doing more than seeing something. It requires more than sight. It requires insight. We're going to talk a little bit more about this in the next block. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. We are not allowed to have a U-Haul that comes to heaven with us. Anna Marie Travers has an AFA Foundation charitable gift annuity. The Lord has given us uh, things that we can uh, acquire, uh, but you know, everything will stay here. And I'm so thankful for, for the American Family uh, Annuity Fund where we can give some to something that we so highly value. Through the AFA Foundation, a charitable gift annuity provides a monthly income as well as a legacy of support for the American Family Association. I cannot uh, recommend a, a better person than uh, they have at AFA to help you with getting your annuity fund. It was so easy. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800 326 4543, extension 345. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Vegas. More states are waking up to the perverse gender ideologies within sports and taking action. Kentucky is now the 15th state to pass a law prohibiting men from competing in women's sports. The bill, known as Fairness in Women's Sports Act, requires students to only participate in sports that correspond with their biological sex. Well, Pacific Justice Institute has been an active voice in courts across the nation to protect women's safety and equality in women's competitive sports. Please pray that more states join in the fight and that fairness would be restored. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. We're glad you're with us. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you have some suggestions, some comments, things you want us to weigh into and just talk about, whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, send us a note and we'll be glad to call you from the program if you want or whatever, whatever's on your heart. This show is for caregivers. And if you're struggling with something, guess what? Out of 65 million other Americans who are serving as caregivers right now, not to mention those listening around the world, I bet you they do too. Got the same thing. Somebody's got it. Nothing that any of us are dealing with on a core level, on a heart level, is unique to us. And that's the good news. Okay? Yes, our circumstances may be unique. The type of caregiving circumstances we find ourselves in. But the cry of our hearts as human beings, as caregivers, is going to resonate literally around the globe because it reflects the, the, the fear, the obligation, the guilt, the resentment, the despair, the anxiety, all those things that we deal with as we look at the caregiving landscape in front of us. And so that's what we talk about here on this program. I don't tell people how to care give. I can't tell you how to take care of your loved one anymore. You can tell me how to take care of Gracie. You know, we have tips that are pretty universal, you know, and we'll, we'll do that a couple of times on how to talk to doctors or insurance companies and things such as that. But, but the, the nuts and bolts of what we're about here on this program is helping detangle the heart of a caregiver, which is often a dumpster fire, let's face it. And if yours isn't, give it some time. <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll come. And, and that's okay. That, there's, there's no shame in being exasperated in all the things we're going through. Scripture knows this. That's why it speaks so much to this throughout Scripture. You know, and if you're having a hard time with this, you're in the right place. So we're glad you're here. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Think back on an encounter that you've had with somebody who was overreacting to a situation, an adult, not a child, but an adult. You know, and this is all part of what we're talking about in the last block and gaining insight. We really want to understand what's going on. And when you saw that person overreacting, you see this a lot with politics now. People are just, you know, all over the map. I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's, you look at some of these people and you're thinking, how do you get out of bed in the morning? And, and there's such virulence going on in our culture. And when you've encountered somebody like that up close and personal, what did you do? How did you feel? Did, were, you, were you caught off guard? Did you feel uncomfortable? Did it make you back off? Did it, 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 how, how did you feel with that? You know, a psychiatrist friend of mine uh, he shared a phrase that he often communicated to his staff, you know, when they would see patients come in. And you think about a guy who's in practice as a psychiatrist and the kind of folks that are coming in. You ever watch Monk? <laughs> and uh, if you haven't, you'll get a picture of that. But it, it, when you when you think of a psychiatrist's office, people going in, there's going to be some very challenging people that come through those doors. And this guy was not only in clinical practice, but he was also a professor and, and been around a long time, has the alphabet after his name. But one of the things he said to his staff was this, when you see a patient overreact or act out, always remember 
there's a story behind that behavior. Now, let's dig a little deeper. What, what he's saying is adults don't lose self-control in a vacuum. We just don't wake up one day and decide we're just going to lose self-control. There's a buildup, and there's a story behind that behavior. And again, this is part of us gaining insight. When caregivers find ourselves in this unpleasant predicament of engaging an individual with a frenetic or hyper behavior, it's helpful to us to remember that the behavior is bigger than the moment. It could be something very simple that triggered a behavior that is disproportionate to the event. And there's a reason for that. And if we remind ourselves, like this psychiatrist told his staff, if we remind ourselves that there's a story, it enables us to speak to the deeper issues driving the outburst. It has been my experience that in those moments, reason doesn't always serve us well. It'd be great if it did. And I'll give you an example. There was a well-known celebrity playing in a pro-celebrity golf tournament in the Nashville, Tennessee area some years ago. And he was paired with Payne Stewart. You may remember Payne Stewart, a wonderful godly man who died tragically. This is, again, many years ago. And this particular celebrity, every time he shanked a shot or, or did something, or missed a putt or whatever, he just he would act out horribly. I mean, vulgar, um, it, it, screaming, hollering, throwing stuff, just being a real petulant child. And Payne Stewart used reason, and he pulled him aside, and he said to him, you're not good enough to act this way when you blow a shot, and if you were good enough, you wouldn't act this way. I think he actually said, you're not good enough to act this way over this, and if you were, you wouldn't. That's a situation where reason worked, and it pierced this guy, and he got his act together and changed his tune. There was a story behind it, of course, but this celebrity could hear reason. He wasn't impaired. He just was being a jerk. But what about your loved one that may be impaired? Maybe they're on some type of narcotics. Maybe they're an alcoholic. Maybe they have dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever, any other cognitive impairment. Reason often comes up short in situations like that, and we have to use a different tool. And that tool is assurance. When you see somebody behaving erratically or acting out demonstratively or, I don't know how to say it any better than that, spazzing out, not like this celebrity, but, you know, for something else going on, something over the top. I don't know, maybe like that celebrity. <laughs> but oftentimes, it is due to a longstanding wound. And it has been my experience that you cannot argue with a wound. You tend to it. You care for that wound. And all, its, all the symptoms involved with that wound. It remains a much more effective response. You don't argue with a wound. When my wife lost her leg, both legs, 
I don't argue with amputation. You, you don't do that. You don't reason with amputation. You assure, 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 assure. And in the process, you'll find a couple things happen. Number one, you're, you're speaking to the root cause of that. Whatever that behavior is, you're speaking to the root cause of it. Now, they may or may not listen. But here's what happens. Here's the second part of that. The more you speak to the root issues, the more insight you have into the deeper issues, the stronger, the more calmer, uh, the more focused, the more peaceful, the more safely you walk through these things, the more effective you become, the healthier you become, I become. The more we say these things, the more we act in this manner, the healthier we are. Outbursts at temporary or minor problems are rooted in a long-time journey that, that, that could stretch back a lifetime, way beyond yours or my skill set to deal with. But if we detach from that immediate eruption, it allows us to, to better understand and address the volcanic turbulence that's behind the explosion. We're not just victims of the lava that's pouring out of it. We understand what's going on. We recognize it. We can operate from a place of safety. But it starts with one simple thing. I'll leave you with this on this segment. It starts with us remembering this phrase. If it's hysterical, it's historical. And you might want to write that down. If it is hysterical, then it is historical. Now go back to the blinker analogy we used in the last block. Are we just seeing this phrase? Are we getting insight? Do we have sight or insight? Do we understand what that means? If it's hysterical, it's historical. There is a story behind it. Remember what that psychiatrist said. There's a story behind this. And our invitation, it's not necessarily our job and it's not necessarily our responsibility, but it's our invitation is to learn the story, to understand the story behind it. And in doing so, it better equips us to deal with whatever we're dealing with in front of us. Now, we can't fix it. We may not have any impact on it, but we can have an impact on ourselves as we navigate through this. Which would you rather do? Would you rather go down a whitewater river with no understanding and no paddle and no life jacket and no helmet? Or would you like to go down prepared? You're going to hit the rapids. You're not going to change the river, but you're going to navigate it more smoothly. And that's... The journey for us as caregivers, we can't change these circumstances. We can't fix it. We can't undo it. We didn't cause it. We can't cure it. But we can navigate this more peacefully. And in the process, better minister to those who are in distress. Because if we're doing it from a place of understanding and insight, then we're allowed to apply Scripture to it. And the work of the Holy Spirit comes through that Scripture and brings calmness and peace. If to no one else, to you, 
Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we're not makers of history, we are made by history. You understand what he's saying there? There's a story behind each of us of how we got here and how we respond to things. And God is interested in that story. Each of us, our stories, he knows us all intimately. And as we learn to trust him in it, we'll see him speaking to us in our distress. And his words are always assuring. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. This is Jan Markell, and next on Understanding the Times Radio, I talk to author Pete Garcia about the new book, The Disappearing, Future Events That Will Rock the World. We seek to equip you to warn others about what the Bible says is about to happen. We are watching a drama, and the final curtain is about to raise. That's next on Understanding the Times Radio. Saturday afternoon at 1 Central and Sunday afternoon at noon Central on American Family Radio. Washington Watch advances a culture where human life is valued and religious liberty thrives. Hello, this is Tony Perkins, host of Washington Watch, right here on the American Family Radio Network, inviting you to join us each weekend for the weekend edition of Washington Watch for the latest from our nation's capital on what is happening as it pertains to faith, family, and freedom. You'll hear from policymakers, congressional leaders, and others each day, 4 p.m. Central Time. Be there. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. In the caregiving journey, we daily encounter high-drama moments, and they can really wear on us. Some of those drama moments may be from our loved one. Others might be from friends and family or the medical community. And sometimes those high-drama moments come internally as we mentally slap ourselves around over things we wish we had done better or wish we'd not done at all. You know, we're not going to eliminate all of those moments, but we can reduce them by asking one simple question. How important is this? See, that's the question. When we ask how important is this, it gives us and others an opportunity to prioritize and even detach from the circumstances so we can determine, is this really a crisis or maybe this is something we can just let go? How important is it for us to be calmer caregivers? And we can answer that one right now together. It's vitally important. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Back to Hope and the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is Andre Crouch of the Gospel Disciples. His sister Sandra singing that. Tell them. I love that. A lot of people don't even remember that record, but that was a wonderful record. And I, of course, love Andre Crouch's music. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I have a very special guest on this block and possibly for the next, but see how long she puts up with me. And she is back after a very, very difficult year. And this is Gracie, my wife. And so Gracie is standing with the help of a walker. And she is straighter. I had to make the microphone taller. It's straighter and taller. It's straighter. Are you? I wish I felt straighter and taller. Well, I think you're doing. That might be a while. (laughs) No, you're doing fine. You are straighter. 
And you want to <laughs> you want to talk about this surgery? Um, do you want me to talk about this? <laughs> <laughs> Daughter, you talk about whatever you want. I mean, and, uh, uh, how are you feeling? Listen, a lot of people. Lot, by the way, a lot of people have been it. praying for you. Thank you all for your prayers. Um, it means the world, and it got me through uh, what could have been a deadly surgery um, or paralyzing surgery. So thank you so much. This was your 83rd. 82nd, and then you had your then, 83rd yeah. while you were there, too. You yeah. had, you had a double shot. A infection <laughs> going yeah. in for the 83rd. So what do you think? Um how was this one different than all the surgeries you've had? Well, I didn't think at first it was when when the surgeon said this is going to be the biggest surgery you've ever had. Um, I thought to myself, okay, it'll it'll be okay, compared to the largest surgery I've had thus far. It'll be big, but I mean, you know, it won't be that you know that much larger. Um, huh, um, what was I wrong? Um, this was, um, you know, we know we knew going into it that I could have come out paralyzed or, you know, in any of the worst things you can think of. But um, I had to, um, we got to the place where we knew, you know, I couldn't continue to just lean over um, and over, you know, 42 degrees, 45 degrees. And so, well, for those who don't know the story, Gracie's back was bent over at almost 45 degrees and she, it was straining everything under. She had to kind of strain her neck to be able to look up. It was, it was a very difficult circumstance for her and set of challenges. So she had to, something had to give. And it was one of those things we kind of knew that, well, we didn't kind of know, we knew this was going to happen eight or nine years ago, but physically she just wasn't ready for it. I don't know that you were physically ready for it now, but I think it reached a critical mass. Um, there was one scene in in there with uh, you and I in, in the ICU when you were intubated. Was this and a movie? It, <laughs> was, was, it was one scene. Um, <laughs> there was one moment in the ICU. Uh, you were intubated. For the first four days, you were unconscious following your surgery. And then that Saturday, they woke you up. And you had to stay intubated for about an hour and a half to two hours while they they brought you out of sedation, but you woke up to having a tube down your throat, which you told me ahead of time you hated that more than anything. Do and, not. I, in fact, I I believe we had a pact. Well, and, I, I I wasn't I wasn't there in the in the operating room to make that call. And so, but down there, you know, they do use teams, and my surgeon said that was his. Goal two, no innovation, but um, he didn't get to say he, he, the, the anesthesiologist team. Uh, I had about five teams. <laughs> it might have been more, but five that I know of um, working on me, and it was an almost 11-hour surgery. But how going into it, um, you know, I'm not going to lie um, to your listeners or to to you or anybody. Nobody's suggesting that you are, Gracie. Um, But uh, I was, you know, I know fear is one of our greatest enemies. Um, I think fear can take you out of the game faster than we can blink. Um, It's an enemy. And um, Satan uses it to to tell us lies and, and to 
and to build up that fear. And so the the fear going into it for me was what, you know, I really had to fight. I, I you know, text. You were particularly afraid of being intubated, not just... I was, well, I was afraid of being intubated. Ultimately, I was afraid of coming out of it paralyzed or dead. I think you were afraid of me coming out of it paralyzed. You were like... I can't handle any more well, with this I, woman. I don't think that's quite an accurate yeah, representation. Yeah, I'm thinking it is. <laughs> but it was um, uh, when you came out of this and you were you came out of sedation and you were intubated. And granted, you've just lost four days. I mean, you you didn't even know what day it was or anything else, but you knew you were intubated. And I told you that I would make sure that you understood you were being, you know, connected with that you weren't just in in abject fear. I was right there when you woke up, and we were playing charades and there was one moment during and you our were charades. Horrible at it. I, I was really good at it, but you are you've never been good at no, charades. I was just like, give me a dead gum pencil and a piece of paper. You were never good at charades on a good day. I'm good and, at And no, there was one scene when you had this tube down your one throat. One scene again. And you're <laughs> There's one scene. I'm sorry. Well, it was a scene. It was, to me, it was a scene. Okay. But you had your jaw just jutted out. You were so angry, and you were rolling your eyes at me. Here I am trying desperately to figure out what in the world are you saying. And on a good day, I don't always know what you're saying. And here you are intimate. You're trying to do charades. And, and then it, it makes then, you feel like you can't breathe. And then... You're just rolling your eyes at me, and and the other the nurses and and some of the techs there saw that they started laughing, and I was, I was like, okay, there's a couple of signs I'm starting to recognize pretty clearly. Well, here. all I knew is is okay, I knew it had been more than one day I was innovated, but I was like, wait a minute, we had a deal. And I'm not real happy with you. I didn't break or the my deal. surgeon. I didn't. I had no control over and that. And that's what he said. So I don't know who's telling the truth here. Well, he is because I, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth because I'm not a surgeon. I have, okay. I have played one on TV, All but right. I, I am not, and it wasn't me. Uh, but and I knew that when I saw you that, but it was for your best recovery because you were. It was such a big surgery, and they felt like it would be so much easier on you to just have those days where you could heal and not move. They were very, very afraid of you moving at all. And Well, I know you were afraid of me moving. No, I, <laughs> no, I, I, they were, they were all very afraid if you moved at all to mess up this fusion, it was such a big fusion. And I mean, a big, it, it, everything about it was big. And so they were afraid of you moving. And so they kept you uh, intubated and, and unconscious. And it was, um, they're still afraid of me moving. Well, they yes, they are. But you are doing well, and and you are taller, um, which is a, a, a you know I could see it already. I mean, you're you're already fifty percent straighter than you were. I, I think you're actually more than that. I think you're more than fifty percent. What do you think? How does it feel when you stand up? Well, when I can stand up and the... <laughs> well, you're having to use a walker now, okay? But that's um, but but no, I mean it it. Uh... When I when I think I mean I I'm having to learn how to walk again all over, you know I mean at 17 I had to do it and um, here I am again. Well, you had well, to do it 18. in 91. You had yeah. to do it in 95. And, and yeah. then here, here I, but this 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 is literally having to walk again. I remember, and that wasn't that what that was just maybe a month uh, or six weeks ago that I put my legs on for the first time and uh, 
they were just trying to get me to stand. Um, Actually, and that was two months ago. Really? You've lost a lot of time. <laughs> it, yeah. Well, um, it's not hard to lose time in no, the hospital. No, uh, you, you've, done, you've done well. And I, but and I, I just remember in the parallel bars, um, I, I thought to my, in my mind, this, this was, okay, it was going to be hard, but it, it wasn't going to be that much harder than when I first learned to walk as a double amputee. And, and it was, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I just started, I mean, I didn't care how many people were in the room. I think there were five. I'm not sure. Could have been more. Um, I, and I, when I tried to stand, um, you know, I had, you know, all these PTs around me, you know, physical therapists. And um, for those who aren't familiar with the hospital setting, and they were teeny, <laughs> little petite, teeny people. And I was like, stop trying to hold me. Yeah, I was like, if you try to hold me up, I might crush you. And um, they're like, no, we're trained for this. And dadgum if they weren't trained for this. But uh, i trying to stand I up. I saw you the, when you came back to the room. They took you upstairs to the rehab floor. Right. And I saw you when you came back. And you were very distraught because you thought, Oh my goodness! Well, I, I thought is... I was going to walk down the parallel bars and all the way back, and, and it was um, it was all you could do to stand. Um, well, I don't think they thought I should stand. I pushed the the little teeny. Uh, are you saying that you pushed people? I no, I physically I will. No, say, are you saying that you you in some way incited, provoked, pushed? Okay, I'm just saying <laughs> that the people that I was not really fond of at first because they were trying to make me do things I didn't want to do. Are you saying you're resistant to doing things you don't want to do? I well, yes, I am. I'm gonna just say it, <laughs> and um, just like tons of other things, I'm resistant to do. But I finally, I just gently pushed this lady out of my way, the the the, the uh, physical therapist that was in front of me holding me up, and I said, "I want I want to stand on the parallel ball." She goes, "You're not ready." And I said, if I'm not ready to stand on these pair, just at least stand, we got a we got a bigger problem. And so I just gently pushed her out of the way, and I was able to stand up. Not saying it wasn't with a lot of her help, but I was able to stand. I have never been so grateful to stand in my entire life. Um, it made me, it did bring me back to, um, I'm sorry, it did bring me back to those 17-year-old and 18-year-old times of, you know, learning to walk again. You know, you immediately go, oh, my God, this is like that, and it's very scary. It's, um... Well, hold that thought, because we're going to go to a break. We're going to continue talking with you a little bit more. I know we're going to a break scary. now? Yes, I have to go to a break. There's a <laughs> clock that we have to work. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking with Gracie. She is back after a very difficult surgery in Denver to help straighten her back. And we're going to have more with her and talk a little bit more in the next segment. This is Peter Roseberg, Hope for the Caregiver, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries 
and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies. And with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit standingwithhope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's standingwithhope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. Welcome back to Hope of the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is my wife, Gracie, from her CD, Resilient. And she is here with us today, proving once again that she is indeed resilient. There is no other word to describe this woman. I tell her she's tougher than a $2 steak. 83 surgeries now that I can count and more than 150 other smaller procedures. But this last one was pretty grueling. How long were you in the hospital? Oh, I was in the months. hospital almost 11 weeks. Um, um, how are you feeling? You ready for me to talk now? <laughs> no, I'm not ready for you. Your to talk. audience Am I ever I ready know. for you to talk, darling? Not really. Okay. You're not really. All right, so how are you feeling? A whole lot better than I was feeling a month ago. I mean, we just... Actually, you're, you're feeling better than you were two weeks ago. Yeah, because we just, we just passed our three-week mark of being home. I, I just wanted to delve into this because I know your time is short on the radio. Do, you know, going into this was very scary. Being in it, especially waking up intubated, brought back a lot of very hard, horrible memories. And I don't think I've understood until the last 10 years really what PTSD or PTS, what um, they call it now, it's when anything triggers something that just takes you back into you that moment, it, into that time. And you just relive it? And you don't just relive it. It's not like a memory kind of thing. It's a, I'm in that car and I can see the flames. I'm in the surgery room before they put me to sleep. 
I'm I'm reliving being in that surgery room. I'm I'm reliving waking up on an intubator and not understanding as a teenager what that meant. Understanding now what it meant. Um, I am so grateful for friends who have been in this situation and are just as afraid uh, of being intubated as I am and was. Um, doing it once or twice doesn't make you, oh, I'm good. I'm, you know, I, I'm good. I'm not afraid of that anymore. That's just something that's just, uh, you are completely all of, you, you can't do anything about that situation. Um, you you, you actually are, are absolutely powerless there. Do you remember me holding the phone over your face? I do. Do you and remember who it was? That said I do. Johnny Erickson Tata. He what got, was that like when you looked up and she was looking down at you because I was holding the phone. You were laying in bed and you're looking up at her and she's like, Gracie, look at my eyes. And she said, you know, what did she say? Do you remember what she said? She said, I'm going to sing to you. At least this is what I remember her saying. I'm going to sing to you and I want you in your head to sing harmony with me did you i never asked and you. so i did but i also just started bawling because i know that that's a fear you know i know that that's a fear for her and i hope she won't be upset with me for sharing that but um i don't want to go down the emotional you know the total emotional road but um that uh that helped me because i knew um she knew she knew what I was thinking and feeling. She knew how scared I was, and um that helped me tremendously i I can't even tell you how i i words are insufficient to tell you how much that that helped me well when when we are going through brutal realities when somebody else understands not just offer sympathy but they really understand it it changes everything for you and and this is what i've learned as a caregiver this is what you've learned as somebody in pain when you talk to somebody you're not you know there, there's a communication that goes beyond just the words and johnny and you have that kind of friendship and relationship that you're able to speak to each other in your great distress. And, and I think this is, that's the message of the gospel is that we have a savior who is acquainted with anything and everything we could possibly understand. A lot of people don't realize what it costs God in eternity when he and Jesus were separated at the cross because they're eternal beings. And so all the anguish and, and all of these things that we carry, we have a savior who understands that. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the beauty of the gospel. You you also had you know um, American Family Radio. They were praying at their prayer meetings regularly for you. They would call in and check on you, and the Truth Network and all these others. They were just literally, I, I think somebody sent me a thing. They said this has gone out worldwide that people were praying for you, and the, your story had captivated so many hearts. And I'm so grateful because I, I know I'm interrupting you, but what's new? <laughs> yeah, um, what's, I, I have to uh, say how that just, um, you know, I know I've had pastors and pastors that I love that might be listening to this go, hey, wait a minute. Um, but, you know, 
having broken my leg right before all of this in the fall and losing my mom and stuff, there's a th- there's a thing that I found that at least when I've been around my grandmothers and different people that have known it's it's time for them to die, that there's a peace and a rest in that. And there was no peace or rest in me. I, I know that God has much more for me to do, um, not just, you know, lay in the cabin, you know, and get better, but do that because I'm supposed to be doing that right now. But there's much more well, I'm supposed to— you are supposed to be resting right now. I, yeah, I know. But, 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 <laughs> but you have more to do. But you have more songs. I do, and I and I have more uh, albums in me, possibly more books in me. But the, the the thing is, and more people to help in Africa, more people to help all over the world. But not because God needs me to do it, but because I'm I'm willing, and I'm I say God, I'm the I I am totally strong at my weakest like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says. And your mother said something to me that really, really helped me. She said, Grace, even if you can only see blue sky or snowy sky or whatever there in your hospital room, she said, something I've learned that really helped me is just to look outside and say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I put emphasis on this because she said, when you say this, look out your window. When you wake up, Look out your window and say, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a wonderful word. And Gracie, I wanted to have you on the program just to give this report. We're going to have you back on some more, but I want to end the program today with you singing from your CD. This is We Will Stand. I wrote this song for you. Thank you so much for I letting me. I love you, me. darling. I'm glad to have you back. Thank you. I'm glad to have yeah. your back. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be back. This is Peter and Gracie Rosenberger. Hope for the caregiver. Hope for the caregiver.com. Gracie, how about we go out on this song of yours? All right. Every day I see the struggles you face as you fight
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.